Friends, before we get into the message today, I, I actually need, need, need your help. Um, next year, next May, in fact, my wife Erin and I will be celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary. And I, I really, and I'm not, that's not an applause break. If you want to applause, you can. I, that's fine. We, we made it. But I, I really need your help. Don't, don't tell my wife, but I, I really want to go all out for this, and I'm not really good at expressing my love or, or going over the top in this way. So I, I thought one of the things that I might do is just write a love letter to my wife, Erin. And I have no idea how to do this. I'm not really good at this. So I actually made a rough draft of this love letter that I want to write to my wife. Would it be okay if I shared that with you right now? I want your feedback, okay? This is, this, this is a love letter that I want to write to my wife. I want to read this to her at our 10th anniversary, okay? But I want your feedback. Be honest. Be brutal with me, okay? Here we go. Starts off like this. Aaron, I love you. How's that? Is that good to start? To start? Is that good? Okay. Aaron, you have brown hair, hair and hazel eyes. You went to Latrobe High School and graduated from Allegheny College with a degree in mathematics. You enjoy watching Penguins hockey. Your favorite Star Wars character is C-3PO. You have two children, Lily and Luke, with me. You are five feet, six inches tall. I love you. That's it. How was that? How was that? Good? Did I nail it? Pretty good. That's great. That's great. Other, uh, no, uh, okay, other people, you want to make sure that I know you're kidding. Other people are saying, no, no, that's not a good, that's not a good love letter that I should share with my wife. Upon the occasion, people are saying, don't do it. People that have been married for a long time are saying, please don't share that love letter with your wife. Are you telling me that a great way to share our love, our deep undying love with somebody is not to share surface level facts about them? Are you telling me that surface-level facts are not a good way to express your love? Then why do we do that with God? Why do we do that with God? I, I have got to say, because I've felt this, I've, ex I've lived this in my walk with Jesus Christ, there are so many Christians today that mistake knowing facts about God for a deep abiding relationship with God. Do we know the difference? That's what today's message is all about. I mean, what is Christianity? Christianity is not a religion. It's not a set of rules. Christianity is a deep abiding loving relationship with the God of the universe. Today we are continuing our summer-long study of the biblical book of 1st John. We are in chapter 4 today, and if you're brand new with us today, don't worry, you can jump right in. 
we have said several times over the past nine weeks, can you believe we've been doing this for nine weeks? We've said several times over the past nine weeks that 1 John is a love letter. 1 John is undoubtedly a love letter. It is about love of God and love of people. But when we use this word love, when we consider the concept of love, it has become so watered down in our culture, has it not? Do you feel that? Do you sense it? So anybody that uses the word love, my goodness, if you love your spouse, your kids, your family, your friends, your community, we have got to understand what true love is and today's message is a love message let's dive into it we're in chapter 4 of first john we're going to start with verse 7 here's what john writes dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god let's stop right there love one another for love comes from God. And if you are somebody who is taking notes, you may highlight that phrase, let us love one another for love comes from God. There's two sides to that phrase. One we kind of know and the other one we've really forgotten about. The first part of that phrase is let us love one another. Now everybody knows, everybody knows that we should love each other, right? We all know that we are supposed to, we ought to, we should love one another. Let's take a moment and pray over those first responders. Father God, would you please uh, bless this situation, whatever is happening. Would you be with our first responders and whoever is the recipient of their love and care. Thank you. Amen. We all know that we are called to love one another, but the second part of that phrase is the thing I think we either don't know or we need a constant reminder of. And that's the fact that love comes from where? God. Love comes from God. Love doesn't come from me, doesn't come from you. This is the difference between love being objective or subjective. Which one is it? Here's the deal with love coming from God. If that's a true statement... Again, I think everybody on the planet would say that they are a kind person. They're a good person, right? If you surveyed every single person, the 7 billion people that live on this earth, if you surveyed them all and you said, are you a good person, yes or no, what percentage of people do you think would say, yes, I'm a good person? Most, right? If you ask 7 billion people, are you a loving person? Most of those 7 billion people are going to say, yes, I'm a loving person. But here's the thing. By whose standard do you think you are a good person? By whose standard do you think you are a loving person? Yours, right? Of course I'm a good person by my standard. You probably, I hesitate even saying this because I don't want our minds to go in a, in a bad place or a judgmental place, but you probably know somebody in your life uh, who's judgmental, do you not? You, 
You know that person who, who, who really never has a kind word to say about anyone. They're always judging people, right? That person in your life probably thinks they're a good, nice person <laughs> because they're letting everybody else know where they're falling short, right? That's doing somebody a service. And that goes back to this deal. Is love objective or is it subjective? Who gets to define what it really means to love our neighbors? Do I get to define it? Do you get to define it? Does your annoying cousin get to define it? That's not what we Christians believe. We Christians believe that there is one source of love, and it is God. God is the source of love. It's what we believe. Moving on, John writes this, Everyone who loves has been born of God. And knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. If you're taking notes, you may underline those words, love and know. This goes back to my failed love letter. Today, do you know God? Christians, today, would you say you know God or do you know about God? Do you understand the difference? Do you have a deep abiding relationship with God or you just know facts about God? This is the difference between relationship and religion. It's the difference between having your life transformed or just going to church. What John is asking each and every one of us is, do you know God? Is his heart, friends, your heart? Do you serve with his hands? Do you see with his eyes? That's what John invites us to ask ourselves. I've got to make a bold statement, and it's not me making it, it's John. If you say that you know God, but you don't love other people, it gives us a chance to re-examine our souls. If you say you know God, but you don't love other people, it gives us a chance to re-examine what it is that we are doing. And hey, if you are here today and you don't know God, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Just invite him in. If you're here today and you don't know God, just invite him in. Stop fighting God. I suspect that the Holy Spirit has been knocking on your door for quite some time. Just let him in. Be baptized with us. Receive communion with us today. You are going to want to know God. Why? John tells us why, because God is love. God is love. In 1993, a very important event happened. Synth rock star Hathaway had a one-hit wonder where he asked one of the most important questions ever, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. You know what I'm talking about, right? What is love by Hathaway? 
If I gave you a thousand guesses, would you have guessed that was the artist's name who wrote that song, What is Love? One hit wonder, Hadaway. Anyway, for those of you who aren't exactly my age, I'll move on. What is love? If you survey, let's survey people again. Let's survey the people of Greensburg. If you surveyed a hundred people in Greensburg and asked them that question, what is love? You would get a hundred very interesting and a hundred very different answers, right? Because the people of our, what, what would you say if somebody asked you, what is love? We might fumble around. We might try to come up with some really deep answer. We might quote a poem. There is objectively one answer to that question, what is love? And the answer to that question is God. It's God. God is love. That's what we believe and the cool thing about that is that if God truly is love, that means everything God has ever done or will ever do is about love. When God created, he created in love. When God commands us, he commands in love. When God reprimands us, he reprimands in love. And so you and I have got to understand what the definition is of love is. We've got to reject what the world tells us love is. Love is not a feeling or an emotion. Love is not a preference. Love is not chasing your heart's desire. Love is deeper than that. Love is wider than that because God is deeper and God is wider. And perhaps I'll just let John say it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. Amen. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, this just stands completely on its own. Since God loved us, we love one another. Please, my friends, note the order here because the order is very important. Our loving actions are not a prerequisite for salvation. Somebody needs to hear that today. Your works are not a prerequisite for salvation. They are an indication of your salvation. And I hope the few people that needed to hear that received that. Works are not a prerequisite for salvation. They are an indication of salvation. John makes both very clear. And the way that we love as Christians isn't like the world loves. It's not any old love. The way we Christians love is deeper. It's wider. It is Christian love. And may I take just a few moments to highlight the difference between worldly love and the way that God asks you and I to love. Christian love is at first sacrificial, and that is a tough, tough concept to receive. Christian love is 
sacrificial. We know that God's love for us is sacrificial. How do we know that? Not hard. God's love for us is sacrificial. What's the symbol of our faith? God's love for us is sacrificial, is it not? So then, what is our love for our neighbor? It's sacrificial. Our love, friends, and I know we don't like to face this, but I'm so glad to be with you to remind myself and perhaps to remind you that our love is sacrificial. That means our love is going to cost us something. Our love of our neighbor is going to cost us something. Maybe your love for your neighbor is, is going to cost you a little bit of your reputation because the person that God is calling you to love is somebody that nobody else wants to love and it's going to cost you some reputation in your neighborhood or among your friends or your family. Maybe we're called to sacrifice our time because spending time with those people that we are called to love is going to take more of it than we thought it would. Perhaps we're called to sacrifice our, our money or our bottom line by radically supporting a missionary. I don't know the way that God is calling you to love, but I do know this. If the way we love isn't costing us anything, it's not love, it's like. And that's the world's definition of love. The world's definition of love, I think, is like. And we've confused that. But God very clearly gives us a definition of love because it's not just First John that is a love letter. It's this entire book is a love letter. And Christian love is at first sacrificial. Christian love is action-oriented. John said this earlier in his letter. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible because it cuts me to the bone. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I don't know about you. I need this reminder every day, every day, every day. We don't just say, as Christians, we do. We do. I'm so glad that God didn't just tell me he loved me. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. Thank you, Father. I'm so glad that Jesus Christ didn't just say he loved people. He ate with outcasts. He healed them. He spent time with them. He cast demons out of them. I'm so glad the Good Samaritan didn't just pass dude on the road. I'm so glad the Good Samaritan did something about it. Christians, we are people who do something about it. It being the darkness in this world. Love is active. And finally, not just active, but Christian love is proactive. Christian love is proactive. And this one is absolutely huge. God didn't wait until you and I deserved love. Amen? You know what would have happened if God would have waited until you and I deserved love? God would have been sitting on his throne right now looking at his cosmic watch saying, my goodness, when are they going to deserve my love? It'll never happen. God didn't wait God didn't wait because God's love is proactive. And so what that means very practically for you and I is that if you and I only show love 
to people who deserve it? Well, that's the world's version of love. That's not God's because we know of a deeper love. Christians, we have got to love with the love of God. And one more time, it's not a prerequisite of our salvation. It is a symptom of our salvation. And that's going to be very important for us as we read these next two verses. John writes, this is how love, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Boy, this is important. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We have got to talk about this, and I've got to recapture my page here. Got it. If you are taking notes, you may circle these wonderful, beautiful concepts like confidence. And there is no fear in love. I appreciate so much what John writes here. Now, if you're a Christian, you probably fall into one of two categories when it comes to your salvation. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but which one of these two scenarios do you kind of lean into when it comes to your salvation? A lot of us worry about our salvation. Am I good enough? Am I worthy enough? Do you lean more towards that, or are you on the other side of the coin where you don't think much about your salvation at all? I think most of us lean into one of these two categories. And what I love about John is that he absolutely addresses both in his letter. To the many people who say they are Christians, but don't really let it affect their lives at all, John says, will you know that you are really God's child, and you will know that you are really God's child if... You love like God. If you see with his eyes and have his heart and serve with his hands, that's how you'll know you are a child of God. And you should reflect on that. And you should think about that. On the other side of the coin, if you're one of those people who worries about your salvation, like you haven't done enough or you're not good enough, John says emphatically to you, don't worry. Don't, I don't know who I'm talking to right now. Don't worry about your salvation. You know it's not you who saves you, right? You know it's not your good deeds. It's not your good works. It's not how you love other people that saves you. Do you know who saves you? Jesus. And he's already saved you. Now, when you say yes to God's Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you will look more and more like Jesus every day, and you will have his heart, and you will serve with his hands, and you will see with his eyes. Friends, God is the perfect Father. And children do not have to fear being around their perfect Father. 
What you and I just need to ask ourselves is, are we God's child? Are we God's child? Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 8. Somebody needs to hear this today. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today, let's close this out. The God of the universe, the author of life and the architect of existence loves you sacrificially, actively, and proactively. So, we love because he first loved us. That was a lot of great information, wasn't it? There is a huge danger in a message like this for it to just be logged under a bunch of information. Yeah, preacher, I know I'm supposed to love people sacrificially. Let's get on with this. I need to go out to lunch. I need to get out of here before the, the rain starts. I know, I get it. Let's go, let's go, let's go. That can't be how we leave a message like this. This can't just be information for sons and daughters, for princes and princesses of heaven. And so what I want to ask you boldly right now is when we are talking about allowing the God, love of God to permeate us and loving other people, you know that person in your life that needs that love, do you not? You know that person who nobody else is loving. You know that person who is very much experiencing the brokenness of that world. Would you have their image in your mind right now? Who is that person that God is calling you to love actively and proactively and sacrificially? Think about that person right now, and I know what you may be experiencing. <sighs> really? <laughs> Oh my, do I, I know, I know, yes, that I'm supposed to love this person. I know nobody else is, but do I really have to? Do you know God? Do you know the extent that God has loved you, the extravagance of God's love for you? If you ever forget, you need only look at the symbol of our faith. And if we know the extravagant love of God, then we should love to love. By the way, our power and our motivation to love doesn't come from us. This is not a human invention. Liking other people is a human invention. Being nice to other people, that's a human invention. Loving other people sacrificially with the love of God, that can only come from God himself. If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And so as John put 
a few verses ago, we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We rely on the love that God has for us. Christians, may we rely today on nothing else but the love that God has for us. Let's pray about it. Father God, we know that we have been called to love other people. It's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do, Dad. Thank you for loving us so extraordinarily, so extravagantly. Help us to realize how much you love us. And help us to love other people to the same extent that we have been loved. Help us to forgive other people to the extent that we have been forgiven. Help us take action today to love that person, to love that person. Father God, it's in your precious Son, Jesus' name, that we do pray. Amen.